Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. You know, in these times of struggle and inflation and goodness gracious me, everything is costing more and more as we were talking with Rosemary Stanton. I think it was last week we spoke with Rosemary, but specifically cost of butter just to get Butter's insane, isn't it? Yep. And, um, you know, frozen fruit and things like that. There is a cheap protein out there for those that that want and uh, have a desire for animal-based proteins. The humble muscle. The muscle in the bay. Do you know, on our doorstep is this great food bowl, uh, which we use. We're not allowed to have scallops out of them anymore, which is a bit of a shame. And commercial fishing has been banned. That's a political issue I'm not going to get involved with at uh, four minutes past 12 on a Sunday. But the good news is that um, there are extensive uh, muscle leases and uh, Lance Whiffen is one of those people that grows muscles, sea bounty muscles, and we're going to have a chat to him. We did a line check before, Rach. It sounded like he was on the bay already, didn't it? It, it did rather. Yeah, it was like... breezes coming through. Yeah, we were saying, yeah, dude, you... Breeze. Yeah. Get in the cockpit of the boat when you're talking to us. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, a sustainable protein, a cheap protein, a really, really great protein. Do you eat mussels at all, Rach? I do. Which yes. style do you do, Blanco or the Rosso? Uh, I tend to go more Blanc, but I also yeah. um, am a fan of the pine um, version where you basically just cook them on pine needles. Oh, no way. Really? I've never done that. That sounds great. It is. Aromatica-sized, if yes. I can make up a word. Yes. What a brilliant thing. And what do you have that with? I've never had this like this. Like that. Yeah, like, that's it. garlic and, and bread and Garlic bread wine. on the side and yeah. wine and dancing. Yeah. yeah. There will be dancing. Yes, usually. We might. Can you remind me to ask Lance? Because I don't think he's ever mentioned... Um, dancing around uh, fires and pine trees. It sounds good. sounds like something you might do at Meredith or something like at a festival. Quite possibly, though it's usually very good at the beach. Perfect. So Lance is number one, talking about sea bounty, and then we're going to go and do a – before we go into Radiothon, I thought it would be a good idea just to check in with John and we'll find out the pick of the markets from him and we will be phoning John at the market because uh, uh, my apologies folks I didn't have time today to pop into the market to record so John live from the market by the phone and then uh, we're going to fire up the thinking drinking theme and then it's going to be my great pleasure and I hopefully for you too the redoubtable um, the incredible Max Allen great wine writer one of the great um, brains behind this industry, we could say, since uh, he started writing in the 90s. But you know how we have wines which mm, now have become almost household names, even though they they weren't before. I'm thinking things like Pinot Grigio, Tempranillo, uh, Malbec, uh, Gruner Vitlina even, even though that's probably might be a little bit 
off-centre. Off things but, that you'll see on most menus these days. Yeah, that, of course. that have almost become mainstream. And do you know that, according to Max, this whole thing, this whole movement started with a luncheon that happened at the Grand Hotel in Mildura in 1999 where it was put forward that we need to drink different wines than just the big five. See, so much can hinge on a single meal. Isn't it amazing? Mm. So we're going to talk uh, to Max. He's got a book out. It's called Alternative Reality. Uh, and we're going to talk about wine in the future. Future, 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 future. Mm. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, and also, you know, how the past has shaped the future or the, the present that we are now in. And then maybe we'll get him to extrapolate into the future. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. And uh, we say hopefully, with the uh, the joy of technology, that uh, I will say now, Lance, a very very good afternoon, and thank you for joining us here at Three Triple R FM. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Cam. It's great to talk to you again. Uh, we do talk about food miles and we talk about eating locally and things like that. And also we've been um, we've been hit by great inflation. Cost of living rises are happening everywhere. A lot of people talk to me and say, God, how can we eat cheaply and well? And uh, it's a no-brainer. It's like, huh, I need to speak to the man in the bay, Lance Whiffen of Sea Bounty Muscles. Yeah, I can. Can you hear me better now? <laughs> oh, I can indeed. So, have we found you um, out in your um, in your rather large backyard? Um, actually, uh, the bay? Yeah, you have um, the, the, the backyard of Australia. I'm up at Noosa for the week, so... <laughs> what? Yeah, so it's beautiful. Really? Oh, yeah. what are you doing up there? You're eating and drinking and taking it easy? I've done probably too much of that already, and I've only been here for a couple of days. So, um, oh, good uh, boy. Really, really enjoying this lovely weather, so it's a nice break from the cold weather we've been working in. Well, yeah, and um, and big wins, because um, that's the one thing that I know that, um, oh, having had the honour of coming out with you a couple times now out on the bay, uh, yeah, it's the winds that kind of make a, a, a muscle person sort of tear up a little bit, but in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, the wind can do our farms damage, but it can also um, cause us a few problems out there working. Yeah, knock, so, knock, uh, knock your heads against uh, bits of metal and things like that. <laughs> um, we've told the story of you before um, for our listeners, but uh, uh, it was something that you decided that you'd always wanted to do. I'm trying to remember what the story was. It was your dad said he didn't want you to do it, I think. Well, you were a farmer yeah, first, we, weren't you? That was it, a farmer, and then went out into the bay? Yeah, well, mum and dad, I mean, I'm a fourth generation farmer of Ballerine, and they were dairy farmers, all my family, you know, my, my grandparents and great grandparents. Um, but that became unviable under Ballerine, so yeah. I moved into fishing, and, and dad, as a you know, as a helper and mum as well. They, they they came in behind me and supported me and, and worked with me through all the all the years since the uh, 70s. So and it's, he, been, it's, been, it's been a long haul. It certainly has. And um, have you found that there's been uh, more and more acceptance of this uh, this little, the mollusk that could, shall we call him? 
Yeah, well, when when I first started, we had one market, and that was in Sydney. Yeah. And uh, I hadn't even eaten mussels myself. You know, everyone down our way just treated them as bait. And, yes. Um, and I had one restaurant in Geelong, La Prisienne. It was a, um, a French guy in there, and he, yeah. he used to take three kilos a week off me, and, and that, that's all I could sell in Victoria. But you know, now we're selling over three a thousand tonnes across Australia and, and um, throughout, throughout Asia. So things have changed a lot. And, you know, wow. we didn't really think much about the muscle, but guys like Ben Shuri came out on the boat and they said, you know, you've got a magnificent product here, Lance. You know, don't, don't down-talk it. You know, this yeah. is a fantastic product. And so it was people like that. It was master chefs and, and journos like you as well that have come out on our boat and said, look, this, what you're doing out here is a pretty good thing. And um, so, you know, it gave me the confidence to actually push a bit harder and, and and presented as a as a really you know top quality product so which it is because i do have to thank uh, ben shuri because he was the one that said have you met lance lance rocks he's <laughs> got to go out on his boat and um and do that so um can you describe for us um so where do mussels get grown in the bay well there's there's several there's several uh, aquaculture zones that grow mm. mussels. So we've got two close to us at Port Arlington. Uh, one, at, we call it Grassy Point, the other at Clifton Springs. And then we've got our main, my main operation is down at a place we call Pinnace Channel, which is north of uh, Mud Island in deep water, right wow. down the southern end of the bay. That's a long way away from where you are. Yeah, we've got three 27-hectare sites there. I mean, Jeez. when we started, we started with three hectares, and now we farm on, like, 200 hectares. So, you know, we employ... Um, we've got five boats. We've got a heap of guys. We've got about 17 guys working for us. Wow. And then Phil, Phil my um, partner, he's got 20-odd uh, people working at the factory in Geelong where they... Um, pack, package and you know clean and uh, grade and and, yeah. and market our product all over the country and elsewhere. Which which so, I've seen and and it's great and I think one of the the great um, things for the general population out there is to um, see how easy first of all how cheap muscles are but the great thing is that you got those um, those bags that that hold them so well and keep them so well. Back in, back in the day, they used to be just put in a little bit of netting, which um, I wasn't the best for taking home, I reckon. No, we, we still we still do the netting, but uh, people like Cole said, um, you know, we, you need to move to a packaging that doesn't drip and stuff like that. So a lot, a lot of the yeah. um, a lot of our traditional uh, buyers of the mussels like the net because it looks like you know it's just come straight from the farm, more so than something that's uh, got. Yes. A plastic uh, wrap around it, but in in essence, they're both exactly the same product. They've both got a, sh a shelf life, and they're they're sold um, as a live product, not not as a fresh product. So, mm. yeah, when, when you get mussels, um, you know, you should put them under the under the cold water tap and just check to see that they close up and see they're still alive, because that's a that's the critical aspect of it. You, we're selling a live mussel, not a fresh one. Yep. And the uh, the other great thing that we'll tell you as to uh, what condition the mussel is is your nose. Um, yes. Your nose knows, and some people say, you know, it's like an oyster. How do you know when you've had a bad oyster? You know when you've had a bad oyster. Um, every fibre yep. of your being wants it out of there, and that's probably um, a great idea. There's um, there's ways of cooking oysters, and one of the things that I think is interesting that you push is that you should cook your oysters lightly to start off with and then remove the beards. 
because yeah. you're not tearing the things to pieces. Yeah, that's right. The, the muscles. Uh, w- what, what we do is, um, and you know, Lizzie, Lizzie presents them and, and shows people on the boat now how we do that. But um, it, it's really good. If you're, you, you've made up a beautiful sauce, let's say you've made up a beautiful tomato chili sauce, and you reckon you just got it about right, yep. and then you go and throw, throw a kilo of mussels in the sauce, you're going yep. to water it down to bilio, and um, it's going to be like our mussels when they're really, um, you know, not long out of the sea, they don't yeah. hold a lot of salt water, and that can really muck up your sauce. The other thing is, you don't throw them into a boiling sauce. You, you need to um, start them from a from a cool from a cool position. So the best idea is to make the sauce up, cook your mussels separately. So what we do is there's two ways to do it. One way is we cook them completely, open them, with Lizzie you put them into ice cold water. Mm stopped them from cooking, would get the beards out, would retain a little bit of the liquor that they um, that we cooked them in, yep. retain that and uh, sieve it and then put that in the, um, and then add that to the sauce to, to just add to the flavour, yep. but, but not to, to muck your flavour up with too much salt water. And then when you're ready to serve, you just um, heat, the, heat the sauce up and drop drop the mussels in, stir around and then present, then, then serve. So... Um, you don't cook them the second time, but but when you do it that way, you can every muscle you can pull the beards out very easy. The beards just fall out. If you've got a muscle there that you've got a broken shell and you've sort of torn the meat a bit or something, you can just throw that one out, and, and then you can present the, the perfect meal, you know, without anyone, you know, complaining. Sort of like this one hasn't opened and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Hey, Rachel came up with a great idea that she was saying that uh, um, we know about white sauce, we know about red sauce. Um, here's something. Uh, I'll introduce you to Rachel. And maybe you can uh, tell mm-hmm. sure. tell Lance. Hi, Lance. Um, so I was go. mentioning to Cam earlier the uh, the one of the French variations, which is an, called an éclat from the southwest of France, along the coast, great big pine forests, uh, and so they use pine needles, which sort of tend oh. to smoke and slash grill mm. the mussels in the shell, and you can take them out and either have them as is or toss them in a bit of butter and garlic yeah i haven't heard of that one but that that would be uh that would be terrific sounds, um, sounds good doesn't it oh yeah like it, there's so many ways like i say to people when they come out on the boat with us um you know it, it's not important how you cook mussels all you got to do is apply heat so you can use your own methods like like i've shown cam in the past of so you've been out on the boat and I've just chucked them in, the, in a plastic bag and thrown them in the microwave. And, <laughs> yes. And, and that, that, as long as you apply it, you'll get them open and that's all you've got to do. So yeah. Yeah, there's, there's various ways you can do it. So. Yeah, and I think someone made me taste a, a raw mussel and I've got to say I don't actually recommend that because it's fairly grippy <laughs> on, the, well, on the palate. It's an acquired no. taste, let's say. Of um, with this new venture we're in now, we're 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 having a lot of people tasting the, the live mussel straight out of the water, and and it's surprising how many people really do like it. Wow, well, let's so. uh, say it's an acquired taste, um, and also just to uh, one thing which I'm dying to see. Sorry, we're running out of time, Lance, because time flies when I'm talking to fabulous people. Uh, is the fact that you have this uh, this new girl? I think her name's Valerie. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that, that's she's, named, she's she looks gorgeous. Mom. Yeah, she's named, named after Mum, and uh, I sent you a few photos the other day. So you've just got to get down, and uh, we'll do a bit of a cook up and show you all about what we're doing. But yeah. people are really loving it, and um, you know, we we 
we, we not only showcase our mussels and, and our, the, the oysters we're growing, um, we also showcase the local wines that are in the area that you can actually see from the boat and um, and also other, other produce from the Ballerine as well. So people get a real good taste of the Ballerine when they come down on our boat. Oh, Lance, it's gotten a bit more gourmet than when I went out with you on the working boats. But, uh, yeah, Valerie is, uh, uh, is a hewn-pined... Uh, trawler that you got from Tassie, which uh, uh, you've spent, a, I think it was a, a year or so to uh, change over, and it looks yeah, amazing. I, I told Lizzie it was going to take us six months, and I was thinking, you know, if we, we go really yeah, right. hard, we could probably knock it out in three, and it took, took three and a half years. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they, well, it's like restoring a Bugatti or something like that. It um, is, and it it's yeah. beautiful, though. Oh, it is. I can't. I will look look forward to seeing it. Sea bounty mussels, folks. Um, and um, so far as protein goes, pfft, ten bucks a kilo. It's uh, it's great stuff, and it's full of minerals. It's good for you, and uh, and it also makes the bay a better place because those filters really really work. Lance, love okay, you. Okay, thanks for talking, Cam. Have a good day. Hey, enjoy Noosa, mate. Go and, go and have a <laughs> time for lunch, right? It's hard not to enjoy it here. All right, see you later. All right, cheers. Lance Whiffen, taking it easy at Noosa. We're going to do a few things. We're going to get John on uh, on the radio. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. With the uh, the miracle of phones yet again. Well, there it is. We're at the Queen Victoria Market. Here's John. Hello, John. Hello, Cam. How are you? Oh, better for hearing your voice. How'd you be on this Sunday? Yeah, it's a strange old morning. Normally, we stand in the sun and have a, have a bit of a chat. But I know. There's no sun and a little bit of a breeze. So, yeah. Know, people are walking through slowly, taking their time, looking at the fruit and veg. Yeah, can you smell the donuts? Unfortunately, I got a block nose. No. Oh no! Uh, I heard that there's a line out there, so yeah, they're doing okay. Well, just about always is. Well, it's good to hear the sounds of the market. I'm sorry that we're not able to do a normal uh, way that we do it, but we've got a mutual friend whose birthday it is, and I'm jumping on a tram to uh, uh, to well help him celebrate, shall we say? Very good. Where are we, um, as signs of spring happening? I mean, we look around, the magnolia's out, there's blossom out, cherry blossom's out. Um, it seems to be uh, an early spring happening around us. Yes, I think so, and I'm looking forward to it myself, actually. And what's, um, are we seeing any um, any new varieties coming in that, well, no, are there any sort of harbingers of spring that have, uh, that have sort of uh, joined us? Yeah, well, I've seen the first of the um, Kui Ripe Asparagus. We've been selling the ones from Mildura for now about a month. Yes. Um, So they're starting to jump up out of the ground, which is a good sign. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the cauliflowers and that winter vegetable still looking beautiful. Um, Because normally when the weather breaks, they're a little bit uh, wind-blown and... um, uh, brownie rather than white colour, but they're looking magic at the moment. Yeah, and the ground's still pretty cool, I imagine. I, I still think they're still pulling tr- truffles out of the ground, in, you know, where they want really, really cold, cold soil. Yeah, and, and it's wet in a lot of places because um, mm. we've had a lot of rain 
through the night more than through the day. Yes. Um, and some of the boys from Werribee were saying that, you know, the rain's good, but they've had a little bit of... Um, uh, they've had enough. <laughs> oh, really? They can, yeah, they've so, said we can stop now? Yeah. Yeah, but, okay. uh, We have to take it as it comes. Yes, well, that's that's sort of the, the great thing of agriculture, I suppose, isn't it? You just get up and hope for the best. Um, so, um, what else is um, is happening? I noticed that um, uh, the supermarkets have started selling Cara oranges. Yeah, I believe so. But we got some beautiful big Cara Cara, um, four bucks a kilo. Yes, um, very nice to take home, cut in half, and get a, a a big big glass of juice out of one, or just hoe into it and eat it. Um, but we've got a myriad um, of oranges and. Um, mandarins at the moment we've got nice blood oranges mm-hmm. it's beautiful see that beautiful red hue on the skin yep um and we've even got a uh, lemon it's not a lemon it's a lemonade you can oh, cut yeah. it in half and eat it it's, yeah it's rachel's like nodding her head going no that yeah. one yep and um we've got the dolce oranges which are a golden color yeah, so get in there and try them all. They're beautiful. Yeah, and we've we've seen a, a lot of the uh, the apples, of course. Which uh, well, they're not new, of course. But uh, um, did you, you never did buy those missile apples? Did you those little tiny things? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, okay, I'll take that as a, yeah. a no. All right, yeah. and moving on then. All right, pick of the market. I need to get out of the way before you start giving me hell. Pick of the yeah, market, John. Well, I'll, I'll bite my tongue. I won't say too much about the apples because we still eat them, son. Yeah. Pick of the market. Um, there's beautiful broccoli there, uh, broccolini. Uh, Brussels sprouts. And, uh, Brussels sprouts, still winter veggies. Um, we made some beautiful soup. Um, and uh, there's some beautiful cabbages around. Um, Frank have got some of our homemade sausages and um, chopped them up and threw them in a pan with a cabbage and just... Um, warmed it through a little bit. It was beautiful. Um, and the beans, we've got beautiful beans from Gimpy. They're running at about $12 a kilo. They're just so tender. Uh, you can buy cheaper around, of course, but if you want the best stuff, you've got to pay about that. We've been lucky that green peas, which have been scarcer this year because of the weather, um, we've got some beautiful peas that have got a decent side pan inside for change, 10 a kilo. And, of course, we've got a myriad of tomatoes. We've got Murray Bridge. We've got all the heirlooms, cherry tomatoes. Uh, we've got the chocolate cherry tomatoes. Chocolate cherry. Uh, and all of that. So yep. people are still making salads, even though it's cool. And uh, they've been enjoying them as well. Uh, as I say to people, as usual, there's all the veggies and, and the fruit that you want. Have a look around. Yeah. Uh, and pick the eyes out of the market. It's all there. There's lots of beautiful green leafy things too. Um, is that your person across from you still got watercress? Yes, they've got watercress. I love that. That's um, great. Yeah. Yeah, they've got all the beautiful herbs and uh, stuff. They've got beautiful Cancun, which people, water spinach people make soup with and that. Ugh, or oh, best. Oh, we've um, oyster sauce and garlic. Oh, my God. It's probably my, yeah, that's yeah. one of my favourite. That's up there with the artichoke, actually. Um, yeah. John, many, many, many thanks. Uh, we're going to leave you. This might be one of the shorter market reports we've done, but it's probably the way it should be because not only uh, do we have a great guest that's about to follow you, um, you've got better things to do than just chat on the phone, but we thank you for it. 
Yeah, you're most welcome. I hope everyone has a beautiful day today. You got a good meal coming for you when you get home? Yeah, we're going to the cousins. It's the youngest cousin's birthday, so mm. apparently his mum has made um, homemade lasagna and, um, you know, we get chicken schnitzel and uh, all the homemade meats and oh. things like that. And then we eat. And then we eat, yeah. <laughs> okay. John, love you. Thank you. All right. All the best, everyone. All the best to you and to the family Thank as you. well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. John of the market. Wow. I want to go to the thing with the lasagna and the chicken schnitzels. I wonder what sort of wine they might be having. I don't know. Perhaps Max could offer some. Uh, yeah, maybe seeing. Maybe there might be a primitivo there. Maybe there'd be a Grunovitlina. No, they're Italian. They won't be doing that sort of stuff. But we're going to find out. Um, we're going to look at uh, alternative realities and uh, the fact way back in 1999 from a great lunch, we could say that. Uh, well, you know, they might have been talking about fermenting things, but it was also time to foment change. And change has happened. And Jim Axe is the one who's going to tell us about it. Oh, we get to hear this intro every now and then, but I've got to say I've been very much looking forward to hearing this intro on this day because across from me we have the redoubtable Max Allen. Max Allen, a very, very good afternoon to you. You've been... As usual, a very busy person. So busy, Ken. So busy. busy. You are busy, man. You always got little interesting and greatly huge things to be doing, whether it's uh, teaching. You still at Melbourne Uni? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I I was marking essays this morning. Well, you know. Yeah. Well, you know. The life of a teacher. Ah, the life of a (laughs) teacher. Teacher, and then of course uh, the one of the great wine writers that this uh, we'd like to say this country has produced. But uh, no, sure. we we took you from somewhere else. No, no, no. As I'll, I'll... as most of us are, like I'm from somewhere else. Well, that's right. Everybody's from somewhere else. Yes, we're all uh, mongrels in this in this well, in this land. Of course, quite a few of us aren't from somewhere else. Of course, yes. Which leads us very nicely on, actually, to the topic of the referendum. Uh, because in 1999. <laughs> There was, uh, there, there was was a referendum. There was great change. It was the Republic referendum. Because I had to look. I was looking at the book and going, which one was that again? It was the Republic. Yeah, it was the last time we had a referendum in this country, 1999, first Saturday of November. Yes. If that's ringing any bells for anybody. Might yes. Be a bit of a triggering. Because what were the same-sex marriage thing? It was a plebiscite, was, a plebiscite, was it not? It was not like we, did, we didn't have to see, listen to you if you, no, if, you right. <laughs> if you voted wrongly. So what happened, as well as that, there was a whole bunch of you in Mildura and you all got together for a little bit of a knees up and a... Some great food, and from that, some edicts were made. So, uh, take take I'll take you back. It is okay. the first Saturday in November. We're in Mildura, yeah. in the north east of northwest of the state. Yes, it's it's hot. It's summer. The the jacarandas are out. <clears throat> um, the sun's beating down, and everybody is queuing up around the country. In the background, to- a crow going. <laughs> Waiting to get into school halls and church yep. halls to vote on whether Australia should become a republic. Yeah. So it was a moment of great potential change. And, of course, the republic didn't happen. No, Australia it didn't get has, up. didn't go in that path. History could have been different, right? And we're at, now in 2023, or in almost a quarter of a century later, we're at a very similar point in our history. Mm. And the point was that at, at, back then in 1999, 
a number of people were thinking to themselves, maybe Australian wine can be different too. Maybe the way we're heading with our with our wine landscape, with our wine culture, mm. is not the only way we could be heading. Maybe we should be, rather than just concentrating on uh, literally a handful of grape varieties, Chardonnay, Shiraz, Cabernet, Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc, all the famous French varieties, mm. maybe we should be looking at the rest of the world where there are... Th- Literally thousands of different grape varieties. Mon Dieu. Hundreds and hundreds used for commercial wine production. Crazy talk. And thinking, why are we just limiting ourselves to literally six or less than fewer than six? Mm. Why don't we start planting alternatives to these mainstream grape varieties? So, good God. The best way to discuss this kind of topic, as you know, is over a beautiful long lunch, right? Yeah, especially, and one prepared by an Italian. Well, Stefano de Pieri, <laughs> who back then was at the height of his celebrity yes. from Gondola on Gondola the Murray. Gondola Murray was, was yeah, huge. Yeah. So, Stefano and proposed. The slow food movement slow was food happening. Slow food was big. So, the, the, the Italian oh. uh, impulse for change was big around the world. I yes, think you could say. Uh, the you Italian know, we, we moves were, were strong. We were embracing Italian food. We sure on were. Our tables in we Australia. discovered real pizza. And we, th- we were thinking, you know, a number of us, a growing number of us were thinking, well, if we're embracing Italian food, why aren't we also embracing Italian styles of wine? So that was what Stefano and a number of other people proposed. They said, maybe we should start planting Sangiovese, te- um, Vermentino, Alianico, Sagrantino, Nero Davola, Prosecco. Mm. All these, forgive my pronunciation. Because a lot of the foods that I cook, meaning Stefano de Pieri, haven't got a hope in hell against a Cabernet Sauvignon and or a Shiraz. Exactly right. And the other point, of course, which is a really important point, mm. is that in a lot of Australia's wine regions, particularly up around Miltura, where you know one-fifth of all Australian wine comes from, yes. The climate actually isn't all that conducive to Chardonnay, Cabernet and Shiraz. It's no. a bit too hot. Yes, yeah, a bit warm. Whereas if you plant grape varieties from the southern Mediterranean, Vermentino, Nero d'Avola, Montepulciano, etc., mm. but also from Spain. And we haven't even talked about the Rioja. That's right. Yeah. Um, maybe these grape varieties are actually more suitable. And in a changing climate, you know, again, back in the late 90s, people were beginning to talk very seriously about climate change. Two main groups seemed to be doing that. One was the insurance industry and the <laughs> second was, no, winemakers, quite yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So there was... There, there, there was a recognition. Of, it was a confluence of, of ideas and a confluence of, of people who were beginning to think differently about culture. Yes. So that all came together over this lunch in 1990. 99 uh, on the same day. How many people were at this lunch? About 130 people. Wow. And so it was grape growers, winemakers, people in the media, people like me. These are the great and the good of the wine industry. Not necessarily, just people from the wine industry. These were the rat bags (laughs) of the industry. Well, the way I describe it in the book. This wasn't Treasury Estate weren't there though, were they? It it kind of felt a little bit like, well, no, this is the interesting thing. So it felt a little bit like the Rebel Alliance, if you like, (laughs) right? So it was, was, I don't know whether whether that makes me the... (laughs) Luke Skywalker of, of Australian wine, or, or, or the Princess Leia, or the Jar Jar Binks. I don't know what they're. Oh no, don't is. go there. But um, we'll, either way, we're going to have to do something with your hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but it, but if you think about it, you know the, yes. the mainstream the industry lines. was was absolutely going down one direction. Yes. It was all about Chardonnay and Shiraz. It was very much Sav about Blanc. those varieties for export mm. markets, right? Yes. And one of the other things we were the people at that lunch and subsequently have been saying is, well, that's all. Fantastic, but what about us? What do we want to drink as Australians? You know, mm. and of course, since then, I think history has proved us them right. Is that we have absolutely embraced 
all these other grape varieties and wine styles. And we've proved to the wine industry that actually we're a lot more adventurous uh, than, than perhaps they gave, it, gave us credit for. And we like diversity in our glass and on our plate. We really, really enjoy it. Which one of these wines do you think was one of the first to, I'm using a loaded term here, graduate? <laughs> well, that's exactly what happened. So that lunch then morphed into a wine show, yeah. right? Because as, as just as Stefano de Pieri, uh, the Chalmers family who were importing and selling grapevines. Very important family. Uh, and also people like Rod Bonfiglioli, who was a scientist who worked for the Chalmers family, who had very much had the vision of, of what... what these grape varieties could offer, mm. um, they were uh, suggesting that um, one of the best ways to, to promote these varieties is over food, over a long lunch, but another way is, is in a way that the wine industry understands, which is wine shows. Oh, okay. You, know, you, you taste all the Pinot Grigios you can find and you give them gold medals, silver you, medals. You, right? you benchmark them. You be, it's benchmarking. You it's peer also, review them a way of promoting the wine in bottle shops. You know, you walk into a bottle shop, you pick up a bottle, it's got a little gold medal sticker on it, right? That was a very tried and tested way of promoting wine in mm. Australia then, and it still is. Yes. So they thought, let's let's set up a wine show. That became the Alternative Varieties Wine Show in 22, sorry, 2001. Mm. Uh, and by 2009, Pinot Gris, Pinot Grigio, same grape variety, two different names, had become so mainstream there were so many hectares planted, there were so many examples on the bottle shop shelf mm. that the alternative varieties people said, actually, it's not alternative anymore. It's become mainstream. And so it literally, we, we graduated it from the show. I put on a mortarboard and <laughs> an academic gown, uh, never averse to dressing up in stupid costumes to promote wine. Yes. Um, did I tell you about that time I dressed in a safari suit for a television was it completely man-made fibres that were, were used in this? Was this a, a, a nylon we did a segment. We did a segment on TV about wine shows and I kind of treated the wine show judges like, you know, like they were you – know, I was uh, observing them like they were – Oh, okay. Apes or something. Yes. It's from a sociological point so of view. Kind of anthropological yeah, yeah, yeah. look at uh, anyway, uh, wine show. Topic. But the interesting thing about the Pinot Gris is that um, it was um, – you picked it up as a style – um, that was a, there was a very Australian thing about how you came up with the Red Bank um, Pinot G Gris. Gris that was uh, mis mislabeled. It should be it was really in a Pinot Grigio style. Yeah, there was a, a thing about that, and it was a very Australian way of coming to the winner. So back in the late nineties, people like uh, Kathleen Queeley, Kevin McCarthy, of to Gallant, Gallant yeah. on the Mornington Peninsula had really p helped pioneer. Pinot Gris, because prior to that point, nobody had really made it commercially in Australia. No. So by the late 90s, people were beginning to pick up on this. More people were making it. More people were planting it. Mm. But there was some confusion because sometimes you'd pick up a bottle and it was labelled Pinot Grigio, mm. and sometimes it was labelled Pinot Gris. Mm. How do you know which is which, right? It could be rich and luscious or crunchy and how else do you uh, Crisp and crunchy. Crisp right? and crunchy, yes. So as, to, as a way of helping the consumer to decide this we in the show split the wines into two different style categories so we mm. tasted wines whether uh, the, the winemaker thought was crisp and crunchy or that the winemaker thought was rich and, and luscious or full, fuller bodied and rich the problem was that the labels didn't necessarily tally with the styles so the first wine to win the best wine of show in 2001 was a crisp crunchy style of pinot grigio but it was in a bottle that said Pinot Gris. And it looked like a, an Alsatian-style bottle exactly too. Exactly right. Yeah. So 
the, because the show then was able to give feedback to the producers, and since the beginning, since that first long lunch, the absolute heart and soul of the show has been uh, uh, an event called Talk and Taste, where people sit down and nut these things out together, right? You invite people in from around the industry to talk about these ideas, and as a result of that, I think that confusion has been cleaned up. Mm. I think now when people open buy a bottle of Pinot Grigio, they know it's going to be crisp and crunchy and light and Italian in style. And when they buy a bottle of Pinot Gris, they can be pretty much guaranteed it's going to have more flavour, more texture, more richness. And this was one of, this was the very first one, the one, the best mm. in show. And and from that, it's amazing how um, the results have broadened so much. This is one thing that you see uh, in the book, which um, is uh, quite amazing. And also, there's, um, you know, the, you have been, uh, not only do you wear, put on safari jackets to, <laughs> to do things, um, you will, we will also go out and, um, and do things uh, for a, um, um, economic recoveries, where you said uh, that uh, I think uh, we have, uh, uh, the recovery should be the vision of uh, sardine and vermentino was uh, one thing that you uh, advocated very, very heavily about, and this was one of the things where we got to think about new grape varieties and how it applies to great Australian food. Forget the prawn, throw a sardine on the barbie, you said. Well, it's, it's sustainable. So one of the most yeah. sustainable fish that you can possibly eat is the sardine or the Australian pilchard, to give its correct name. Thank you. Um, but we call them sardines because they look like sardines and cook like sardines. And they're silvery and like taste sardine. like sardines. So, yes. um, and they're super sustainable. And I thought, uh, this was not my idea, this was John Sussman, the, the, the fish expert, so, so. who kind of have, uh, alerted me to this. And God, I thought, what a, a fabulous way of promoting change in the glass and change on the plate. If you can put a beautifully sustainable fish that we should all be eating more of because it's really good for us as well as being sustainable, mm. with a grape variety like Vermentino, which nobody in Australia really knew 10, 15 years ago, mm. certainly not 20 years ago. Um, God, no. It would have been known as a wog wine. Well, if, if at all. <laughs> yes. right? So even, even in its homeland, Sardinia, you know, very few of those wines were making it out of Sardinia. So it was a grape variety that even the Italians were learning about. You know? yeah, so right. a lot of these varieties are new to them as, as much as they're new to us in their modern incarnation. So let's put Vermentino next to sardines. Let's And I suggested in a newspaper column, let's do kind of, I don't know, flash mob fry-ups in, in shopping centres, right? Wow. And, You're and, so part of the zeitgeist all the time, aren't you, Well, I just threw it out there as a yeah. stupid idea, and then the winemakers got together and actually did it. They did it, it right? yes. It was fantastic. It was just so good. You know, Adelaide Central Market, there was... You know, charcoal grill, sardines on the on the grill, so that beautiful wafting smell. I can smell, smell it. It yeah, smells right? great. And it yeah. smells like you're in Greece or somewhere. Yeah. Um, and beautiful eskies, eskies full of crisp, fresh, delicious, cold, white Vermentino. How could you possibly not respond to that? All right. There, I'm sure that there, are, there would be people even now that have never tasted a Vermentino. How would you describe a Vermentino to them? So it's like... And uh, compared to a Chardonnay. Do, do you know what I love about a lot of these Italian varieties, like Vermentino is a really good example. Nero d'Avola is another really good example. And this is going to sound... Just work with me on this. Vermin, the beautiful thing about Vermentino is it tastes like dry white wine. Mm -hmm. Very often... People just want a glass of dry white wine mm -hmm. that they don't have to think about too much, that's mm -hmm. refreshing and crisp mm -hmm. and goes really well with fish. Yep. That's not like Sauvignon Blanc or Viognier where there's heaps of flavour mm -hmm. that you have to be thinking in your head or you don't have to, but you're thinking in your head, what does that taste like? Taste like something. 
Nero Davila is the same. Yeah. It tastes like red wine. It's just wine. <laughs> it's just a glass it's just, of red wine. It's just wine, yeah. You know, and, and it's delicious. Yeah. But you don't have to think about it too much. That's the point about a lot of these grape varieties. Mm. Right? That they can make really fantastically complex wine, but the, their strength is making really good drinking wine mm. in a sustainable way. So that's the big difference is that it doesn't take as much water out of the river to irrigate these vineyards to right. create commercially viable crops of grapes to produce delicious wine mm. that people respond to. So Fiano is a really good example of a grape variety that's actually a mm. like a delicious textural white wine, mm. right? So it's not crisp and, and it can be, but it's usually got a bit more body, it's a bit more weight, so it's just going to give a deliver a little bit more satisfaction you in go, the mouth. Mm. And it's, oh. it, it likes growing in a hot climate. Yep. It, it, so viticulturally it works, right? Uh, and people are responding to the flavours. It's one of those great varieties that's potentially looking like being one of the next to graduate. Really? Yeah. And maybe, yeah, towards the um, uh, a little bit, oh, this is great, we've still got time left over. I'm quite enjoying this. Uh, yes, towards the end, we might, um, I've got uh, a, a list of what I sort of see as some of the accepted varieties and maybe you might want to just quickly comment on them mm, would that be mm. all right towards the end now um i'm delighted of the fact that i'm i'm not gonna <laughs> I, i'm not gonna hold you back in, in any way because you've brought in bottles and uh, uh the bottle in front of me is always better than as, not having one in front of you as tom waits allegedly said the front of the bottom you think yeah no was he the one who's supposed I to come so. up with that good Someone, on you tom or was it William Burroughs or somebody. I don't oh, know. Oh, someone, someone, someone came up. Someone, someone smarter than I One am. Of those growly Americans. Yes, love it, love it, love a growly American. Uh, now let's looking back on this. First of all, let me just promote this book. There's a book is out now at the moment. It's from Melbourne Press, which is interesting. It's called Alternative Reality. It's written by Max Allen. He's here with us in the studio. Uh, you're listening to Eat It, of course. And this is all about the Australian Alternative Varieties Wine Show, an event that happened in 1999. And from this lunch, much change. So during just before that lunch down. in 99, we, we did actually taste all the Sangioveses we could we could gather together in Australia. Now, if you walk into an independent shop, yeah. it, was, it was like a dozen yeah. or something, <laughs> and one of them was from Tuscany. So, you yeah. know. Uh, so we've come, we've come an awfully long way. Yes. Now the show attracts about 800 Whoa. entries. And bear in mind that both Pinot Gris yes. and Prosecco yes. have both graduated and are now mainstream. Yeah, they are. So Prosecco did that in 10 years, from the first commercial release of Prosecco uh -huh. to being everywhere yes. in less than 10 years. Amazing. So they're not even in the show anymore, and we still get 800 varieties. Wow. Sorry, 800 entries from about 120 different varieties it can get up to. Yeah. One of them. Mm. On. Here it comes. Oh, that was a good one. One of them is Malvasia. <laughs> Thank you, Ullage. Oh, oh look on. at the colour of that. Oh, it's golden here, isn't it? Yes. So there's a number of things about this wine that I think explain or demonstrate how much things have changed. Yes. In the last 21 years or so. Mm. Uh, oh, hold yeah. on. You're passing around, that's good. We're not passing over the mixer, just so that everybody knows that. So, it pours well. It does pour well. So mm -hmm. this is a, a Malvasia from Stefano Lubiana. A what? A Malvasia is the grape a variety. A Is the grape variety. Yes. Or Malvasia, depending Mal on your, on your, your derivation. So yeah. Stefano Lubiana, producer uh, just out of Hobart in yep. Tasmania, 
But this, now you noted the colour. This is two, three years old. Uh, this is skins fermented in amphora. No way. Yes, in the Georgian is, right? style. Well, the Georgian, but also well, the Italian that, style. Yes, yes. Right? So, so the Ljubljana family on the back here, even though this grape variety is relatively new to Australia, mm. and the, the idea of fermenting wine in amphora is like super cool and, and feels really new. Mm. It's actually been going on for centuries. In fact, this, this family, the Ljubljana's, claim a, a history of... Oh, there's it's some acid in there, isn't it? It's made from biodynamically grown grapes. Mm. That whole move towards organics, biodynamics, regenerative You're a big fan of it, aren't you? Being a big fan, but look how much that's changed in the last 20 years. Yeah, it really is. Um, we've got about three minutes left of 57. I'm gonna, two minutes left, says Rachel. Okay, I'm going to go through some of the wines that I reckon have graduated. Tempranillo. Yes, or, or on the cusp. I was going to say there's sections in even, even in supermarkets now. Yeah, Malbec. Really good example, Tempranillo, another really good example. This other wine I have here of a wine that just tastes like red wine. Mm. That's delicious. Malbec, oh, not quite. There's not enough grown in Australia or not enough put into bottles. And a lot of the Malbec we're getting is from Argentina anyway, I would put to you. Fiano? Yes. On the cusp. Gewürztraminer? No. What about with hot food? Beautiful. That needs to the message needs to be out. Do you eat chilies? Do you know what about Gewürz? It we can make it beautifully in this yes. country. People don't like the. Fl it's too much flavour. It's too over the top. Fill your mouth with chili and it's and great. People are frightened about getting the name wrong. Um, why just call it Tremony? Uh Gamay. Uh, yeah, should be w way more widely planted. It has a huge future. Grunewaldliner. Already fantastic, really well established, could become mainstream soon. I think lots of people would just like to order it. Have the Gruner of it, please. Uh, Montepulciano, there's another one. People love it on love the cusp. It. Yep, Sangiovese, it's here. Sangiovese should be more popular, popular than it is. It actually is a little bit more fussy about where it grows than we thought it was going to be. Viognier. Should be more popular than it is. Actually, not a lot of it grown. People are frightened of pronouncing it wrong. Bam. You did a marvellous job. By Thank the way, you. Uh, but also very, very has been very, very useful in the last few years mixing with Shiraz. In blends. And that I think, little yeah, tiny yeah, bit yeah. of Viognier, just to bring it out. Mm. <gasps> Rachel's saying we've got to go. Oh, no, there's the time. It's Max. What a pleasure. The book is called Alternative Reality. How much? Forty nine ninety five from all good bookshops next week. Can I actually say how beautifully constructed this book is? Thank you very much. It's Melbourne very, Books will love you for it. It's a very beautiful hard cover. Rachel, thank you so much for stepping in. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 